Hello, and welcome to the Self Project Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Martin, and I'm a life transformation and human design coach who supports others on their own personal growth journeys. This show is all about rediscovering and reinventing who we are, and we are going to talk about it all. From wellness, spirituality, self-empowerment, energy, self-realization, sobriety, mental health awareness, literally anything that can help us along on our own self-project journeys. So let's dive right in. All right. I want to welcome to the show today, Sandra Kuz. She is an intuitive trauma release and self-empowerment coach, a Reiki master teacher, um, traumatic incident reduction facilitator, and a passionate writer. And she's going to be sharing about her upcoming book release with us. But she works with women who are no longer willing to be held hostage by their traumatic past. She helps them release their emotional pain, take back their lives, and discover who they truly are. And I am so excited to have you on today. And I am so grateful that you agreed to come on the show and share with us. So you want to just tell us a little bit more about you, Sandra, and your story? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Okay. My name is Sandra. And... I'm originally from Germany, and then love brought me to Canada 15 years ago. And now I live here with my husband and our seven-year-old boy. And I love it. I miss home, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love Canada. It's an amazing country. That's awesome. All right. So where to begin? My story. My story began when I was 12. My, I was, I was in love with horses, like every 12 year old girl, I would assume. (laughs) And, but we didn't have the means for me to take riding lessons or own a horse. So it was, that was a big dream of mine. So one day my mom made my dream come true. She had a friend who had a little pony at a stable who needed someone to look after it at no charge. And I was over the moon. It wasn't a big horse, but it was a horse. (laughs) So, yes, I was so happy. And I went there twice a week, took care of the little pony that was half the size of me, (laughs) like really (laughs) tiny. And um, the stable master there promised my parents to take care of me, teach me the ropes, and show me everything I need to know, how to brush the horse, how to feed it how to saddle it, how to ride it, and how not to get bitten, because it was a really little item, this horse, yes. (laughs) And I loved it. I love being the horses. I love the smell of horses to this day. And I was in heaven. So one day in the summer, when I was 12, that stable master asked me if I would like to ride one day on his big horse to get a feel how it is to be in a big one. So I learn a feeling and get comfortable with it because at some point I'm going to take care of a big horse. That was his plan. And I was like, sure, of course. Yeah. So the next time I went there, we, he said, left his horse. It was a beautiful golden brown animal, Mm. huge. (laughs) And I was sitting on top in the saddle and he was walking beside us, holding the reins. We're walking along fields, meadows, 
it was a beautiful summer's day, it smelled like dust and flowers and horse, <laughs> and I was in heaven. Oh. So after about 10 minutes of walking, we came by a hut. And he said, okay, he has to go inside and get something, and he wanted to give the horse a rest after 10 minutes of slow walking. Okay. okay. So I was like, all right, he's the adult, he should know. So he helped me off the horse, and we went inside. And there was like a little tool shed. It was like it was like a workbench in one area with like an old computer chair and tools everywhere. It was dusty. It was dirty. And next to the door, there was a little makeshift bed with a rough blanket. And he asked me to sit down on it. I was like, okay, no problem. I'll wait until he's finished and we can go back. So he went over to to the table with all the tools and was rummaging around a little bit. And then he came over and sat next to me. And he started a conversation. He asked me if I had a boyfriend. And I said, yes. Now, I was 12, so you can't really call it a boyfriend, but let's call it a little crush, my neighbor. And so I said, yes. And he said, well, did he kiss you? And I was like, well, yes, on my cheek. And so he was sitting on my right. He took his left arm and held me by the shoulder and gave me a kiss on my cheek. And I thought, this is weird. Yeah. How would you do that? And then he started to stroke my shoulder, which I thought was really strange. And then his arm went down under my arm and came to rest on my breast. And he started stroking it. And I was 12. I had no idea what he was doing. I was playing with Barbies. I wasn't old enough for the sex talk or anything. So I was like, what is this? I don't like this. Yeah, it's kind of that frozen state of like, wait a minute, what's happening here? Like this, I don't think this is right. I'm sure you were probably Mm -hmm. thinking that too. Like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Like something, this isn't right. No, I didn't like it. But I was told never to argue with an adult. Growing up in Germany, very strict. Loving parents, there's no issue about that, but very strict. And we never talked about this. Why would we? Who would think their child would ever experience this? Yeah. Anyway, so he kept on stroking my left breast and kissing me on the cheek. And then his right hand came to rest on my right leg and started moving up. And I had no idea what that meant. I just knew instinctively where his hand was going. I didn't want to be touched. Didn't know why. Didn't know what was going on. But I said, no. And I just held his hand. And he slowly kept pushing up and up and up. Now, mind you, he didn't touch me there. He stopped at some point and just, I was pushing against his hand with so much force, even though I knew if you wanted to, you could. But I guess he thought, well, let's take it gentle, I would assume. So after, after what felt like an eternity, I took all my strength together and asked, should we go back? Aren't they looking for us? And he was almost whispering, not yet, and kept undoing what he was doing. I don't know how long it took. I don't know when we left. I don't even remember how I got home that day. I was just on autopilot. Mm -hmm. I just remember being in my room and my neighbor, my, well, in quotation, boyfriend, and I told him about it because I didn't understand what happened and I didn't feel right, but I was 
afraid of telling my parents yeah. because I didn't know if it was something I did wrong. Was it something mm-hmm. that I don't know will punish me for? I had no yeah. idea what happened. And he said, no, you have to tell them. I'll come with you. No. So he basically waited until my mom came home when dad was still at work. And we walked down to the kitchen. He was standing by the window and me opposite my mom. And he said, well, your daughter needs to tell you something. Mm-hmm. And I was so ter- I was so terrified. And slowly I told her what happened. And her face was like stone. There was like no expression. She didn't expect what she was. She didn't expect anything like this. She thought I would have messed up in school or who knows what, but she didn't expect this. And luckily she believed me. So I was really lucky. And she said, don't go there anymore. Okay. So the next day she went there with me to pick up my stuff from the stables. And she must have called her friend to tell her that because the stable master was nowhere to be seen. She asked me to wait outside while she went inside and got all the stuff. And all those girls that were taking care of horses, they were like 16 to 18, they were older. And they all formed a circle around me. And I said, you know, he would never, ever do anything to me like this because I'm not shy. You're just not speaking up. So that's why I did that. He's a nice guy. He would never hurt anyone. He probably had some issues from the war. I was standing there like, really? Why are you getting up on me? What did right. I do wrong? Um, gaslighting, yeah, the term for it now. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would know them today. I was like, oh my goodness, you really know what? Wow. But, yeah. That's... So we never talked about it again. We never went to the police. When I was 15 and I understood what had happened, I was like, okay, why didn't we? Oh, and wow. my mom said, well, I didn't want you to have to go to court and tell everything again. So she was trying to protect me, which I get now. Now I get it. But back then I was like, I was 12. This was my body. I was supposed to have a say in this. But I understand now as an adult, having my own child, I get it. Yeah. But you still have to work through and process all that. Like as a child, and especially like you said, if it was never talked about, you never got any kind of like therapy or got to have any closure from it and talk about it then it's just sitting there you don't go to therapy in Germany yeah well yeah I was gonna say I was gonna say yeah not that you know back in I'm in my mid-30s now yeah and that Mm -hmm. wasn't really a thing until recently right so yeah so that was the first thing (laughs) that happened when I was 14 I was sexually harassed we were in Austria and every year we went hiking in Austria was like a big deal in the fall, fall break. We always went there and I loved it. It's beautiful. If I have a chance to go, go there. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. One thing I really miss. <laughs> and we always went to the same hotel. My grandparents started this tradition and we were basically family because you really went there at least once a year. And that hotel owner loved to have welcome shots, like alcohol, mm-hmm. with the guests. And the hotel was always full. So it didn't take long for him to really get drunk. And they made their own alcohol. <laughs> so Probably really strong. <laughs> yes, but that was normal in Austria, even yeah. parts of Germany back then. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, but he had advice that he always loved to touch women's breasts. Nothing else but that. Just like, you know, come on, let me say hello. Like, yeah, things like that, you know, like look creepy. And yeah. everybody knew that about him, but every, nobody really said anything because it was just that, nothing else. There was no other ulterior motive than that. That's enough. <laughs> it is more than enough. And I was 14. Yeah. And yes. one day my parents were looking at new accommodations they were building and they kept me and my sister in his care for the time being, for like 30 minutes. He wanted to touch my breasts. And I said, no. I was still young, innocent, but not naive anymore. So I knew that, no, I don't want this. Yeah. But he didn't care. I was running away from him. He kept chasing me. He thought this was a game. He never touched my breasts, but he wouldn't have if he caught you, probably. He would have, yes. But nope. I kept running away from him. And I was getting more mortified. The more I yelled at him, no, and stop it. Leave me alone. And he just didn't care. He just came after me. And yeah. Then my parents came back and I ran to my mom and she embraced me and was like, what? I'm like, he tried to touch my breasts. I said, no. And he wouldn't leave me alone. He just kept on running after me. And I was crying. I was scared. I was like, will this stop finally? And my mom helped me and she was saying in a more joking tone, you can't do this to my daughter. You know, she doesn't understand. You don't mean anything by it. She's too young to understand. I was like, what? Really? I was like, I couldn't believe this. So I felt like as a woman, I was pretty insignificant. What I wanted didn't really matter. Now, I understand that she tried to keep the peace. Yeah. You know, because we still went there and nothing ever happened again. She never, He never tried again all those years after. He never did, ever. But, but I can imagine that you still weren't comfortable going there and you still no, that little bit of anxiety. I had forgotten it for many years. Oh, okay. Until I started really with the healing process, then it came oh, back yeah. up because oh, wow. it was technically something very minuscule compared to all the other stuff. All I'm the other things. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> wow. This was the, I don't know, this was the smallest thing that ever happened. So from all the other things. So when I was 16, I was bullied in school, not just by one or two classmates. It was my class and the neighboring class. It went on for a year. They, when I was sitting during break and there was always being by myself, I was always a loner, mm. just me. But they kicked my foot or took my book away. They threw spitballs at me and they bullied away the only friend I had to really isolate me. And one day I was writing a letter to my pen pal and I told her I had my first boyfriend and how excited I was, how awesome he is. And they stole that letter, made copies and distributed them throughout the whole school. Oh, Sandra. How old were you at that time? No. 16. Oh gosh. It went on for a year. But I have to say what was really nice was a couple of years ago, one of my classmates reached out and he said, I feel so horrible for how we treated you back then. Mm-hmm. I have a son and I tell him every day how important it is to be kind. 
Because I was like, you know what? That really helped. Mm-hmm. That really did. I mean, it doesn't change anything, but just to no. know that somebody. Yeah. That they, exactly. That they realized, you know, that they did wrong. Yeah. And they reached And I out. think a lot of people who did bully others, when they're older, feel too ashamed to reach out and say, here, I'm so sorry. But this can be so healing for mm-hmm. someone who has been bullied just to know, okay, you realize you did something wrong. Thank you. Yeah. This is how I felt. This yeah. is so important. It really helped. I, I believe that. So when I was 19, I started working in the hotel industry. I mean, in Germany, we have the option to either finish school and go to university mm-hmm. or we can learn a trade. I wanted to learn a trade. I wanted to go into hotel business. So I went basically to school for two days a week. And the other days I worked in hotels. So I basically didn't pay for my education, but got paid for working in the hotel, which is pretty nice. Right. Here. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Yes. So, and I had to go through every station in the hotel, learn everything. My big dream was maybe going on a cruise ship or run a hotel someday. Oh, That's yeah. education that I was getting towards this. And I love that. I love service industry. That's awesome. So when I was working in the restaurant, the restaurant was rented out to an Italian restaurant owner. And he was doing the breakfast service and dinner service and everything. And all his employees were Italian too. Now, this is not to say that I don't like Italians. No, I'm just <laughs> saying here that what was going on. <laughs> And they had a changing room. You couldn't lock. And there were always two of the waiters who always came in when I was changing. They knew and they were just waiting for it for me to change and then go in and watch. Even though if I told them, leave, go, leave me alone. They just stood their arms crossed with a smirk on their face and just didn't move. That one waiter was really a piece of work. (laughs) One time my mother called and I was in a lady's room. He came in the lady's room and handed me the phone under the stall. What in the world? Yep. (laughs) Yes. Wow. But from previous experiences, I didn't ask anyone for help because nothing had ever happened when I asked for help. So it was like, I just suck it up and at some point I'm going to be out of this restaurant and tell you I was so glad I was. Wow. So then when I was 19, 20 years old, I started to discover my love for country music. And we still had the American stationed Frankfurt, Darmstadt everywhere. So I had a country club called the Rainbow Club. Oh my God, every Saturday. If you weren't there before eight o'clock, you wouldn't get a seat. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I had my dance partner and everything and... It was wonderful. I loved it. It was an amazing time of my life. And one day I was going out on a, a first date with a GI. And we went to an Irish pub. And there were always women going around with roses in their arms that people could buy. And he bought me a rose. And I thought it was the sweetest thing. Yeah. Until five minutes later, he took my hand and put it on his crotch. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I was like, really? <laughs> Again? I was like already traumatized I was like why is this happening so I was just wanting to I pulled my hand away of course I wanted to get up and leave and he said I apologize I won't do it again and I was taught it's disrespectful 
to just leave a date. I wasn't taught that it's okay to leave when something like this happens. So mothers, teachers, teacher girls, when this happens, they can leave and slap them in the face. 100%. (laughs) 100%. So then when I was 22, I had a boyfriend was an officer in the military and he had a best friend and we used to always hang out together, have game nights and everything was fun. I mean, they were nice guys. So one night in January, we were playing board games and we were drinking. So, and my boyfriend left to go to sleep because he had to get up really early the next day. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stay here if that's all right. And just sleep off the bus so I could drive home because we're 30 minutes away. That night his best friend raped me. Oh my gosh. Never any indication that it any interest in me or anything like that. I was completely blindsided. I didn't know what happened. I was I was interrogating myself. Where did I lead him on? Where did I give him any idea that I was ever interested? And then I had a boyfriend. And I went to my boyfriend after this happened. I just ran out of the house and told him what happened. And he was like, well, he's my best friend. I'm not going to do anything. Needless to say, it was my ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's from was the hardest. Yeah. And I locked myself back at my house for a good year, year and a half. And then I decided, you know what? I can't just keep myself in here for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I decided to go out with my friends and we went to a Cuban club because we loved the music, the rhythms. And we went there and I was asked to dance by a Cuban guy. I didn't know how to dance the steps or anything, but yeah. he said, don't worry about it. So we were dancing and he was pushing me so hard against him. I could feel his penis. Mm-hmm. And he was rubbing it against me and he got, and I felt it yeah. growing and I tried to push him away, but he wouldn't let go. I was struggling. Tried. I felt disgusted. I, I had to finish the dance with him because I couldn't get away from my friend. Saw him struggle. Didn't do anything. I thought it was funny. Sandra. So that was the last time I went dancing. And about two years later, I went to my family doctor because I was like, I can't live like this. I was feeling so down, depressed. I wasn't going out anymore. I was just, I was like, this is not me. I don't want to feel like this. Something has to change. Mm-hmm. So, and he was very compassionate. He said, okay, I would like for you to see a psychologist. I was like, okay, whatever it takes. I don't want to be like this anymore. Okay. So I went to the psychologist, talked to him for an hour then he said, I think you already worked through it all. What am I supposed to do? Uh. <laughs> and that's when I hit rock bottom. That was the point where I was like, okay, not even medicine is able to help me. Help you, Sandra. What am I supposed to do? I'm just heartbroken because I just keep hearing over and over the people that you trusted and asked for help just freaking let you down. Yeah. Like, ugh. I know. Yes, but then things changed. <laughs> that, I like to that I like to hear. <laughs> okay. I had a friend who mm. is very spiritual. 
And one day, I don't know how long after I went to the psychologist, he was over and he saw how miserable I was. He just saw it. I, I was defeated. I was like, I give up. <laughs> this is me. This is my life. And I have to make the best of it. I don't know how. I mean, I didn't understand how to talk to men anymore. Yeah. I didn't trust anyone. I was afraid to go out. I was afraid to looking at anybody because I was like, I don't want to give the wrong signals. I was like, what and what I, I and what I keep hearing too is you felt like it was you. What's wrong with me? Exactly. What's wrong with me. Like yes. It's not. Because why would anybody do this to me? What <sighs> did I dress wrong? Did I talk wrong? Did I put too much makeup on? I gained weight just so that men would leave me alone. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my friend, he was over and I remember this day so vividly and I, I laugh about it. I love this moment because it was so transformational. He stood in front of me, hands on his hips and said, get a quartz crystal already. <laughs> what? That's it, right? <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> What's that got to help? What's that got to do? So I knew crystals. I loved them for the way they looked. I had no idea about spirituality. I didn't know what he meant by quartz crystal. What should I do with it? It's pretty. So what? And he said, no, get it. It will help you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I'll try it. I'll try it, right? Yes. So we went to the big Frankfurt flea market. It stretched along the river. It's beautiful. I remember those days. They were beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we got um, a course crystal. I picked one. I still have it to this day. Oh, my gosh. And he told me, okay, now you got to cleanse it. Okay. <laughs> he was like, well, your, your hold is under running water for a few minutes. I was like, all right, why? And he was like, well, because everybody who touched it leaves some energy residue behind. And if you want to work with it, it has to be clean of it. I was like, all right. Right. <laughs> okay. I still had no idea what he wanted from me. And so he said, okay, now you take it to bed with you. And you just hold it. You meditate. I was like, I never meditated before. Just hold it in your hand and go to sleep. Okay. (laughs) All right. I can do that. (laughs) So I held it in my hand every night for three months. Mm -hmm. And the first two, three nights, I didn't feel anything. Didn't notice anything. Just a rock in my hand. I was like, okay, well, I keep on holding it. Just wait. I was like, all right. So then I started to feel like a little, like pulsing in the palm of my hand where I held the rock. I was like, okay, interesting. Then another night, some nights I couldn't tell where, where my hand stopped and the crystal started. Oh my God. It was like as if they had melted together. And then other nights I felt like a spinning motion in my hand. Now today I know this is the hand chakra that got activated. Back then I had no, no clue. idea. No. Wow. Other nights I felt like as if something was being pulled out of my arm and then pushed back in. Wow. So today I know that. The quartz crystal is called a poor man's diamond because energetically it's as valuable as a cut diamond because it pulls out the negative energy and guides positive energy in. And that's what I felt. And the changes weren't subtle, but I woke up in the morning sometimes and felt so much lighter as if a weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. So it wasn't anything I could pinpoint, but I was more outspoken. I felt happier. I wasn't healed by any means. No, but but. there was 
a lot going on and I had like memories pop up and leave just as fast. So basically I was starting to release. Mm-hmm. Back then I had no idea what that meant, but I liked that I felt better. So that was the beginning of my healing journey and my introduction to spirituality. I love that. I love that. Um, Cause I work a little bit with crystals too. And um, I love that you just trusted. You're like, I don't know why you want me to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then well, the modern medicine yeah. denied me. Right? I was like, well, I know I don't feel okay. Mm-hmm. Something has to change. And it was like, well, I tried everything else and nothing worked. So why not? What do I have to lose? And that's usually when things change because mm-hmm. when you say, well, I got nothing to lose. Why not? You give it the benefit of the doubt. And in spirituality, that's all you need the benefit of the doubt for something to work. The doubt. So then once that started, yeah, I was going to say, did that lead you next on your journey to um, Reiki? Yes. <laughs> I love well, that. I didn't study Reiki until I came to Canada hmm. because Germany back then wasn't very spiritual. Oh, yeah. They came a long way, but it took a while. Back then, yeah. no one would answer my questions. If I went to talk to my parents, they would tell me, well, that doesn't exist. So, okay. Don't talk to her. She's going to tell you you have an aura. I was like, really, <laughs> mom? <laughs> really? Right. Wow. Yeah, my mom was my first Reiki teacher. Really? A Reiki student. Sorry, I was a teacher. Oh. <laughs> she was my first Reiki student, That's which so was very surprising. I love to hear that, though. So, as I know, yeah, my family's still a little bit like, mm, I don't know about that. What is that? What are you doing? Like, mm. it's, it's, it's not easy to really explain Reiki in a way yes. that other people can understand because you love it so much and yes. you see how it works. But what I always like to use is when, for example, when we hurt ourselves, like we have a laundry basket in our arm and we hit our elbow in a corner. Oh, yeah. You know, if we don't have something in our hands, we rub it, rub the elbow right away and the pain seems to dissolve quickly. Mm. But if we have something in our hands, we cannot let go. The pain takes longer. A while, yeah. Exactly. And that's just energy that's being paralyzed. Yes. That spot. That's oh why some God. people see black or see stars for a second when they hurt themselves because the energy flow is interrupted. Wow. That's Only a when you rub it. Yeah. When you rub it, then you may help the energy flow again. That's a great explanation. Or a scab, like the body is healing itself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like when scab is on, the skin underneath is healing. And then when it's done, it falls off. And it's the energy of the body that helps the healing process. This is usually what I do. And people say, oh, okay, I get that. Yeah. Because I talk to them in terms that they understand. I understand. I like that you that you do that. Yeah. Because like you said, sometimes it gets hard to explain. Mm-hmm. When you can break it down like that into yeah almost physical because people don't understand always what they can't see. (laughs) Right. um, Break it down into something that makes a little more sense for them. Mm -hmm. They're usually more open to um, listening. So, oh my gosh, your story. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Because like I said, um, you know, going through, we've seen this pattern that you think 
obviously you're coming through this with low self-worth because you think something's Mm -hmm. wrong with you. Um, you know, and then we get that shift where you started with crystals and you started your spiritual journey and you started that healing. So how are you helping others with doing that today? Because that's what you do for others is help them release that trauma. Right. Right. How are you helping others with that? (laughs) Well, now that I've healed fully from my trauma, for me, it's just a story. Sometimes I have to remind myself that this is actually something that happened to me. Yeah. Because I'm so distant from it. I have no emotional connection to it mm. anymore. And this is so liberating. liberating. Yes. And I love to show others how liberating this really feels. Because the first thing that I realized when I really started to look at my trauma from a more distant perspective was I was holding myself hostage. Mm-hmm. I was not allowing myself to let it go. Different reasons. First of all, I was angry. Mm-hmm. I was angry at my attackers and they don't deserve my forgiveness. It took me a while to understand what forgiveness really meant. Yeah. Then I was like, okay, if I say I let it go, does that mean it was nothing? Yeah. Does that make it any less bad to what happened? If I let it go, doesn't mean I say it's okay. Mm-hmm. All those questions, you know, those, because we were taught to, no, you don't feel something like this is unforgivable. Yeah. And but it is. It, it absolutely is. It but is. like, there's no I, doubt about it. No, but like you said, you're living in anger. And exactly. so that's so with the too. anger, you're forcing yourself to stay stuck in this incident. Yeah. And every time you play it back in your mind, it gets worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. because you're, first of all, you're being triggered. I do a lot of trigger release work with my clients, teach mm-hmm. them how to release triggers all by themselves. I still have triggers come up from the bullying every once in a while, yeah. but I recognize them now and understand what are coming from. Even though I lash out on my husband, then I apologize and say, okay, that's what's, what's happening. Yeah. And he gets that. So, but then I work through it on my own and release it. Yes. This is so powerful. But I say it sounds so powerful. And um, I love it. Yeah. Because it shows you how strong you actually are. Because we always say, well, my attacker took something from me. Mm. Unless he took your virginity, yes. Yeah. That's but- undeniable, yes. But if it's emotionally, no. They didn't take anything from you. They didn't break you. Everything is still there. Yeah. You will never be the same person. You will be stronger, more fierce. You will be more courageous. You will be more determined, Mm. especially when I say I'm determined to heal myself. This will catapult you into a whole new being. It will show you what you're actually capable of. I love that. It's like taking back your power. Exactly. Power you never lost. It's just burning. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. So by taking it back, you say, no, this is not me. This is, this happened to me. Someone else did this to me. Yeah. I'm allowed to let that go. I don't need this in my life. It's their issue, their karma. They can deal with it. So, but to get to that point, you really have to work on yourself because this is, it takes some time. And that's what I help my clients to achieve. 
Now I use um, traumatic incident reduction. Mm-hmm. This is an amazing modality that was created in the 80s, specifically for people with PTSD. And everyone who has been traumatized suffers from PTSD. Every time you're being triggered of a memory, you know, and it could be a smell, it could be a taste, it could be a song, anything can trigger you. That is PTSD. Maybe a mild version, but still, still. being triggered is PTSD. So, and with TIR, you're releasing those triggers step by step by step. You're bringing them to the surface and you release them, never be gone. Now, I'd like to give an example. Yeah. One of my clients, she has had, I'm not going to talk about the trauma, but Hmm. she has had a lot of intense trauma. So, and a lot of people have this issue that when they think about trauma healing, they feel sick, they throw up. Hmm. A lot of people have that. It's that fear. It's because the body is trying to stop you from feeling into this again, bringing it back to the surface, but it has to come up to be released. Yeah. So she... As soon as we, as soon as I even just ask one question, she's already throwing up. Wow. So, but when we get through the process of releasing one incident, it takes about five to six sessions mm-hmm. for one traumatic event to be fully released, never to return. This is incredible. Well, in the last stage, where she basically goes into the story, in the beginning, she throws up so much she can hardly speak. At the and at some point halfway through, there's a shift. She stops throwing up. She talks, just talks about the story, and it gets lighter and lighter and lighter. And at the end, she was like, "Okay, now what? It's gone." And then everything that she released, she uses as a mantra. Wow, it's it's almost almost like like dad and basement and car, and she's so happy and she's singing it. Wow. The trauma that she was throwing up on not too long ago. This is how amazing TIR is, traumatic incident reduction, because it really helps you to release for good. It's not um, coming back. Thank you for sharing that with us because I've never heard of that before. But I um, know it's sad. It's so amazing. Yeah. But like, yeah, what you're saying sounds like this could be such a powerful thing for so many people. It is. It is. I can't wait to share about oh, that. I wish I had that when I was getting through Yeah. I did it all on my own. Oh my so, gosh. So she almost had a physical release along yes. with just she everything. Did. And I understand yeah. that this is her body's way of releasing. Yeah. I tell her that. Look, it sounds wow. weird, but I'm so happy when you do this because I know you're releasing. It is yeah. not comfortable for you. I know that. And I feel so sorry for that, but your body's releasing. You're getting it out. Yeah. Oh my no, gosh. let me tell you, not everybody has a reaction like this. Yeah. For most people, it's much gentler. They may but. feel a little heart flutter. They may cry. They feel some may even get a slight panic attack. But all of this mm-hmm. is gone as soon as the trigger is gone. Wow, that's amazing. And then it's gone. And then with the TIR, after that, I start with coaching. Mm. Self-empowerment coaching, where we basically... I wouldn't say rewire the brain, but really look at the limiting beliefs. They still have most of them already gone just through TIR because they don't need that protection anymore. So then I basically challenge them and say, okay, so you want to, I don't know, talk about your story, be a public speaker. Okay. Now, because I did that and I was like terrified. Yeah. I said, okay, so next time there's like a local event and they have speaking gigs. 
Ask if you can speak. Just do it. That's what I did. Just jump into the water. Don't think about it. Just do it. (laughs) Most people think that their story isn't important. They think, who wants to hear what I have to say? I thought like that until I took all my courage and shared just the very first part of my story on stage. And people were coming up to me in droves. They were like, oh, my God. I was crying. I felt everything. I was, I'm so sorry. I've, I've, I've been through that and I wish I had your courage. Thank you so much for sharing. And this was so brave. So amazing. I was like, wow. Okay. How powerful. <laughs> yes. So I helped them through coaching to really get to where they want to go because we all have our dreams. And yeah. what's really holding us back from our dreams is us, our own limiting beliefs, our own self-sabotaging behavior. We're not being good enough. This is, we're not meant to do this because it's not working. No, it's internal. So we work through all those limiting beliefs and I challenge them in a positive way. Okay, today we try this and we try that. And really let them go forward. And then I have a course where I help women who want to share their story as a book, how to do this and how to write it, why to write it and how to write it so they can heal through writing. Through writing, wow. Because when I started my book, I was sharing my story too. And even though I had healed from it, it was quite a challenge to really go back in and write it all down and be really honest and to the point, not getting sucked in again. Oh, yeah. So I learned a lot about writing my story from a heal perspective. So, and I said, okay, I know other people want to write their story too. So how can I help them to write it in a way that is easy? transformational for them healing. Yes. So I really like that you do that. Like you, you do the trauma releasing and then you don't just leave them, you know, just like, okay, you know, like (laughs) you're, then you take them a step further. Like, okay, like now we're going to empower you and like, let's, Mm -hmm. let's go, you know, share your story. Let's go do what you want to do. I really love that you do that, that it's not just like, that but there's a whole nother step like okay we did that now we move on to the next step exactly because i don't like those questions now what yeah right <laughs> now like what <laughs> yeah no, because i've been there i mean yeah. i'm doing what i'm doing now because i healed my trauma and i understand trauma i have a very unique perspective mm-hmm. because i was started when i started to really analyze myself you know, this is this takes a lot of practice to really be comfortable with looking at yourself and analyzing yourself. But it's so powerful because you become so compassionate with yourself. Mm-hmm. You become so compassionate with others because you understand others struggle too. Yes. And the more you look at yourself and question, why do I behave like this? Why don't I like this? Why don't I like that? As an example, I was, well, after, like I said, after I was raped, I gained weight. Mm. And I could never let it go. And I tried and it always came back. One day I was, maybe five years ago, I was standing in front of the mirror and I thought, okay, why am I not losing weight? And I was thinking about it. How do I feel? And I said, okay, I don't like the way I look, but I feel safe. Mm. That popped up. I feel safe. And I was like, okay, so how would I feel if I were thin? And I had panic bubble up. I was like, ah, all right. So I have to heal the fear, release the fear before I can release the protection. 
because in a way my weight is my protection and that was really intense because it taught me that there's for the most part there's an underlying problem we just have to be brave enough to look at it that's a really powerful example. I love that you did that. And it's like, like you're saying, stand in front of the mirror and just ask yourself why, you know, yes. without needing the need for control, just allowing it to be what it is and mm. acknowledging it and loving the part of you. Yes. Because I understand there's still a little part of me that needs healing. Mm-hmm. I think that there's always going to be parts of us. Oh, yeah. that- that need healing forever because I mean, this is life too. And there's also going to be traumatic things as you continue going. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. But so, I teach my clients lifelong to feel themselves. Yeah. How to, when they're being traumatized, they will know right away. Okay. Do. This just happened. Okay. How can I help myself so that it not, doesn't take hold and become another limiting belief? Because mm-hmm. they understand, they will know the feeling of panic, they will know the feeling of fear, and will understand how to counter that, how to ground themselves, how to relax, how to journal, for example, to let it out so that the fear cannot take hold. All of this because women are such amazing creatures. We have so yeah. much to give, we have so much <laughs> power. I mean, come on, we give birth. Oh, God, right? Hello, that alone is incredible. I know. And we are all, I mean, the world is changing. We're not in the 1950s anymore. Women stay at home, housewives, and men go to work. No, it's not. But we have to grow into this. We have to evolve. Yeah, evolve. And and I love to really help women bring their power out, to release what they don't need anymore, and really bring their power to the surface. I love that. I really love that you're doing that because that's such important work. And I really see you over there um, just really listening and nurturing your people because you know what it felt like to. Exactly. I've been on both sides. Anybody help you. Yeah. To not feel like you didn't know who could help you, where to get help. And, Mm -hmm. and they have you. So I think that that's so, so beautiful. That you turned around and you took your story, you empowered yourself, and you said, no, I'm going to be there for other women. I love it. Because I know how it feels when you don't have anyone. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, I say you probably, oh, you probably do realize just how important that is to, to some women for them to have you. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. So tell us, does your book, your upcoming book release, tell us a little bit more about that because will that dive into more of your story and sharing all this with us too? Okay. My book is book one of a trilogy. Oh. I can't believe I did that. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first book is the trilogy is called Journey to Yourself. Your and self separate. Okay. So very distinct. And the first book is called How to Heal from Trauma. So I start with my story. And then I use my story throughout the book to give examples of how we behave, how we react, what we need to look at. I really pick trauma apart because I want to demystify trauma. Because we don't really understand what's really happening within us, what trauma really means. When we think of trauma, we think about the incident. No, the incident is something that happened in our life story and will always remain a part of our life story. We cannot change what happened. What we can change 
is how we react to it. Mm-hmm. Because technically what happened should not be more important than what we had to dinner last night, like anything else in our lives. But since we are so emotionally attached to it, since we have built up this protection that this never happens again, which are the triggers. Yeah. So that's why it has such a huge impact and it shouldn't. And in my book, I give step-by-step instructions. I have exercises. I have place for notes. I have suggestions. I really look at trauma from every angle possible. And I love to write and explain and really be simple, easy, to the point, like with how I explain Reiki, mm-hmm. that really people can understand what I'm talking about. What you're talking about. So basically, it's a self-help book. Yeah, I like books like that too, where you give where you give the reader an experience too. To well, you're sharing your story, but you also give them an experience to yes to reflect on their own story and share that and heal that themselves. Mm-hmm. So those are my favorite kind of books. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm excited. And so to be honest, if you had told me five years ago that I would write a book about trauma healing, I would have laughed. You thought we would be crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So the second book that I'm working on right now is called How to Unbecome Who You Are Taught to Be, where we look at conditioning, upbringing, like the beliefs that our family instills within us. I have a big chapter on relationships because relationships take such a huge part in our lives. Mm -hmm. And when I think about most relationships break apart because they can't communicate. This is true. So, and when there's like one person who's constantly being triggered but doesn't understand that what the partner says is just triggering a memory from a past event that they don't even connect. So, I picked this apart because mm. relationships can be so beautiful. Relationships should be empowering. But yes. if we're still in our trauma and don't realize it, we just say, okay, I can't live with this person. When mm-hmm. really it's trauma or Limiting beliefs or upbringing is at its root. Yeah. So I pick relationships apart. (laughs) I also work with couples if they both know they have relationship issues and they have trauma and they just want to get over this. Then I work in a system that is designed for couples to work with them, like coaching together, TIR separate, but then coaching together to help them understand how to communicate. How to empower each other, how to ask questions. For example, we always want to make our partner happy. But we never ask what actually makes them happy. We just assume based on what our family tells us. And then when they say, well, I don't care too much for that. We feel not good enough. Yeah. (laughs) And this is all not necessary. Yeah, because we've never asked. (laughs) Exactly. And then we shouldn't feel... Gosh, like we're not good enough, or we're doing it wrong with a horrible wife just because we didn't pick up on what our partner really likes. Yeah, so things like that that can make your relationship so much easier and empowering. That's a great point. I love that you brought that up because uh, those are huge parts of your life, exactly. Most definitely. And the last book is going to be How to Become Your True Self. Mm. So, basically, everything that I pick apart. In the first two yeah. books, we put together an empowering way so that you learn, so that readers can learn how to really go for what they want, figure out who they truly are. Because we all have our purpose, we all have our passion. And 
bringing this together and figuring out what we're supposed to do with our lives, what we're meant to do. Mm-hmm. Look at it from a different perspective. Most yes. definitely. So it sounds like your book series is going to be like an entire journey for for your readers. Again, like you're not gonna just leave them after the first one. Like, okay, now what? <laughs> no, I don't like. I don't. Yes, I don't like. I don't I, questions. I see it. <laughs> what I also have in the works is um, a transformational novel. Oh, I always wanted to write a novel, but yeah, I was like I want to write something that actually helps someone. Mm-hmm. So basically, what I do with my trilogy, I put into a novel, into a story. Oh, wow! And to, I mean, I have the story completely in my mind already. Just gonna bring it to paper. Yes. <laughs> with COVID, it was more challenging than I thought. I know, right? Sometimes getting it from here and getting it out into something readable <laughs> is yes. can I mean, be a husband who works from home now and the child oh. in school from home. I can yeah. really just have hours to myself to write because I, I was like, there's too much to do. I understand. <laughs> yes. So with your book, it's going to be published. Your very first one in the series is going to be published in the spring, right? Yes. I do hope it's sooner. It all depends on how quick the publisher can get it done. Yeah. I was over there, a little backlog. And as impatient as I am. <laughs> it's it's all for a reason. I know. Patience <laughs> is a virtue. Something I get I, it struggle with <laughs> oh yeah yes so far it says in the spring so early 2021 awesome and on my website i have a link in case okay. someone wants a signed copy just message me i will put it on my website as soon as i know the publishing date oh, i can't wait i bought my publisher like yeah almost weekly <laughs> you're yeah. where are we at now <laughs> yes <laughs> no i don't do that I oh. wait, but i'm brooding inside Right. Yeah, I'm very antsy. So where can we find you online? What's um your website? My website is riseaboveyourstory.com. Awesome. So I will link that in show notes so you guys can go over and um, you know, connect with Sandra and see all the things that she has to offer and how she can help you. And do you have anything else um as we're closing out? Is there anything else that you want to share or touch on or anything you wanted to add? Mm. what I would like to talk about is forgiveness oh yes I think this is a very important subject that is mostly misunderstood and this is a huge part in healing Mm -hmm. so forgiveness I know a lot of you will probably not just hold your breath and say "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh it's not gonna happen (laughs) I get that I've been there but whatever happened to you is inexcusable Mm-hmm. And yes, it will always remain inexcusable, but you still have every right to let it go because this has nothing to do with whoever did what to you. This is all about you because as long as you say that person doesn't need my forgiveness, nothing, you will never receive my forgiveness. You're still angry. And as long as you're angry, like I said before, you're still connected to that person yeah. on an energetic level. You're still connected to the story. Mm-hmm. And this you happened can't... to you. You have no obligation to hold on to this. None whatsoever. That person, their karma, they can deal with that. So forgiveness doesn't mean you go over and say you forgive themselves. Forgive them. No, I never forgave my attackers. But I allowed myself to let it go. I allowed myself to say, not part of my life anymore. 
this happened to me. I cannot change that. But this is my life and I do with my life what I want. <laughs> and just that choice was so liberating. It was like a rock fell off of my heart. Like I said, I never forgave them, but I diminished them to not more than a speck of dust in my life. Yeah. They have no room in my life, no room in my mind, no room in my heart. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. So forgiveness doesn't really mean forgiveness. It means letting go. Yeah. Moving on. Stop caring. Like, I don't need you anymore. Thanks for the experience, but no thanks. Yeah. So, yeah. Think okay. about this. Yes. Thank you for sharing that final message with us. I think that that's so important. Like you said, um, the subject of forgiveness. And I hope that there was somebody out there that heard that that really needed to, because that was a powerful message. So Sandra, I want to thank you so, so much for being on the show today and sharing with us. I feel like you just shared so much with us and you just shared your heart and I really, really enjoy connecting with you. So thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Self Project Podcast. I hope that you were able to find something useful or inspirational to take away with you today. So come and connect with me over on Instagram. It's at underscore Christy Martin. And let me know what you want to hear more of. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review and I will see you next time.